Oh, coming up on a Monday edition of the OGP One Giant Podcast, mandatory minicamp is on its way. What are some of the matchups we're looking forward to seeing, and how has this offseason improved the outlook for Daniel Jones, not only from a passer perspective, but also from a processing point of view? Can this kid be a QB that operates at a faster pace? We break it all down right after the theme music. That's right. It's OGP, the one giant podcast where, of course, you know, we are your hosts over there. It's the season generational ticket holder, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. I am Adam Armbrecht, breaking down also the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Nori. Welcome you in to the show. And we say there he is, man, healthy, wealthy and wise, fresh off a qualifying weekend of golf. Oh, yeah. A little golf. I mean, beautiful weather. Very excited. I know we're not a golf podcast, so you hate talking about it, Adam. What I will say is, yeah. the, for, for the people that are watching on, on YouTube, I got to say, the hat that you're rocking today gives me the Kendall Roy vibes from Succession, if that's what you're going for. So hopefully you're not oh. plotting and scheming how to take over the universe, you know, one listener at a time. Hey, listen, one co-host at a time. We're going to change this thing. Uh, <laughs> no, although I do like the all black. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm sending some type of vibe out there, and it's probably not one that quite aligns with my personality. Nevertheless, though. We come in, of course, starting tomorrow is going to be the kickoff of the mandatory minicamp. All of the voluntary workouts are done. Now we'll get a chance to get fresh eyes kind of on the team in total, maybe see some matchups that we like. We'll talk about that here in a second and also take a look at Daniel Jones. Um, there's some interesting stats. You know, we, we bat him around a lot. I think what we're going to try to do as we work our way through the offseason, we said this, he's the quarterback. We know he's going to be starting for the Giants coming into the regular season. So let's find ways that we think he can be better and he can improve and he can be, as Andy wants, the franchise quarterback for the Giants for years to come. But when we talk about the mandatory rookie minicamp, which will kick off, not rookie, the whole camp, everybody, uh, starting tomorrow, the 7th through the 9th, what are your expectations when you go from voluntary to now mandatory, assuming everybody in the building, obviously still going to have some guys recovering from injury, but what are you most excited about when you think about, hey, this is this is full go here before we get a long layoff this summer? Well, the Giants are in a unique position, Adam, compared to some other teams. You know, think about the Cleveland Browns. They brought in Deshaun Watson with all this crazy stuff surrounding him. Who knows if he's going to get suspended or not? You know, what are they doing with Baker Mayfield? You look at the San Francisco 49ers. Debo Samuel wants out. He's been asking for a trade. They don't know if it's going to happen. You have different things like in Seattle where there's a position battle like, is it Geno Smith? Is it Drew Locke? Who's going to be their quarterback? The nice thing is like there's all these good vibes coming out of all of the OTAs that the Giants had. It feels like we kind of understand the majority of, of position battles and, and where they stand. We know who, who the quarterback is for now going into the season. What, what, I, what I'm curious, and I, I think most Giant fans are probably curious about, is who's going to take the second cornerback position by storm. It, it feels like after the release of James Bradbury, it does feel like that one spot where we really do need a player to step up. And where Darius Williams has been out, Aaron Robinson's been out a little bit. Um, Cordell Flott's been playing in the slot. Michael Jaquette seems to be getting some reps with the first team. There's a lot of names that I'm tossing out here, but that's because it could really be a coin flip on who's you know on the opposite side of a Dory Jackson come week one for the Giants. 
Yeah, and you'd like you'd like Robinson to be the one that steps up with a combination of size and speed, but that that's a fun one to watch for. And when we talk about now mandatory minicamp, you hope that you get to see Robinson matched up against Kenny Galladay on the outside, against Kadarius Tony on the outside. Maybe you do see some of the versatility that we've talked about with Wink Martindale, whereas these guys rotate through the secondary, just getting as big a sample on as many plus matchups as possible so you can confirm or deny things about them. So when we talk about who, who's going to be that number two corner, well, I'm going to watch probably those handful of players and say, show me against the best that the Giants have to offer. I won't be as impressed if I'm saying Aaron Robinson as the example. If you defend C.J. Board downfield on a deep route, that's not going to raise my eyebrows and get my attention as much as if you say, goes out and played Kadarius Tony to a standstill or played Wandell Robinson to a standstill, played Kenny Galladay to a standstill, right? That'll be an interesting one. And then I think the other side would be fun to watch is what cornerback matches up against maybe Daniel Bellinger on some of those reps, depending on how they line up the young rookie tight end. And you can put a Seals Jones into the mix there as well. Any of the tight end positions, what cornerbacks are picking them up in coverage? Because that's going to be the subset of what Martindale wants to do. Yeah, I, I think Bellinger will be interesting to see if he continues to progress and, and grab that starting tight end role from, from week one. We've already seen him show flashes in camp. The one other thing I will say about mandatory minicamp, Adam, is the Giants have had a lot of guys wearing red jerseys and having an injury designation. Oh, sure. And and so it hasn't been great, but out of an abundance of caution, we have kept some different players out. What will be great is actually seeing Andrew Thomas out there and really starting to visualize exactly what our starting offensive group will look like, and also to get them reps together. If you, if you think about it, it might be Shane Lemieux. It could be Joshua Zudu. You have Mike uh, Lewinsky now, brand new, newly signed free agent. You have Feliciano in the middle. You have Evan Neal. We're talking about all these new parts needing to get some reps consistently together so that we can see some continuity for the first time on the offensive line. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny because you mentioned I mean, it's basically you could say four fifths if we want to say that for right now Lemieux is the guy. He's the leader in the clubhouse, and maybe Asudu continues to get some reps at left tackle if you don't have Thomas available, which is what we want. But four fifths. So then the other matchup that's going to be fun to watch is the defensive line against the offensive line. I think right. You want to go head to head here, see how Thibodeau is going to work inside of it. How does Aziz Ojolari? It looks enormous over the course of the. The rookie mini camps and uh, listen, it, it's three more days. It's not like this is three weeks of practice, but I do think that the mandatory mini camp offers some sample size of, of a little bit dialed up intensity where both sides want to offense and defense showcase where they're at before a bit of a break here. Cause when you come back in, then it's really going to be about asserting yourself and saying, well, over the course of rookie mini camps and mandatory and everything else, OTAs, this is kind of where we had our board. If you're Dable, if you're Martindale, if you're Kafka, right? You want to set that. If you're, especially if you're one of the young players, you want to kind of set the expectation of I'm the guy doing X for this team, right? Somebody, a veteran is going to come in and take that away from me when we reconvene in another month or so. So uh, how much we can learn, it'd be interesting. You, you make the great point. Can you get like two more of these red shirts off, off of these guys and get them out there on the field before you have a long break? Because otherwise you're talking about coming back for training camp and saying, and now where is Evan Neal, right? Like now, uh, sorry, where is Andrew Thomas, right? Like where is he from a health standpoint? I really would prefer, as we highlighted earlier in the offseason, get rid of get rid of the question marks around health. And I, you're always going to have those problems. We know how much it's plagued the New York Giants over the last couple of seasons. You just you don't want that to be a part of the process anymore. I, I couldn't agree more. We got to get some people healthy. We got to get them on the field. Obviously, offensive line was a question. 
decimated with injuries last year as well. It wasn't good when people were out there. It wasn't good when they got injured and we had to pull people off the street. Well, you know, it's just something to look at as, as we start getting closer and closer towards the regular season. Before we talk about uh, Daniel Jones specifically and a couple of different areas uh, around him and improving this offseason and being that franchise quarterback, you were uh, looking around, notable man of ESPN stature, talking about the most improved or successful offseasons, I should say, around the NFL. The Giants found themselves in a top 10 position there uh, based on a few a few different metrics that suggest, again, everything about this offseason has been right foot forward, right? A step in the right direction. It looks like there's another indication that maybe the Giants are getting there. Yeah, so, you know, Bill Barnwell is highly regarded at ESPN. I love reading his work. He always seems to be pretty Barnwell. sharp and, and with it when, he, when you know, he does some of these uh, analysis. And, you know, he comes out and says, what teams improve the most? The Giants on this list ranked number six, which is a vast improvement from what was going on under the previous regime. Now, bad news for Giant fans, the Philadelphia Eagles ended up finishing second on the list with sure. all the different actions that they were able to pull off with things like A.J. Brown and bringing in James Bradbury, et cetera. Um, the, the thing that I thought was very interesting from Bill Barnwell, and the reason why he gave the Giants such a high grade is he said that a few things. One is the Giants didn't go crazy and overspend in free agency, whether that was because they had no cap space or, you know, Joe Shane was, was saying this is a multi-year rebuild. Let's not, you know, move contracts or kick them, kick the can down the road. But the other piece that I thought was interesting, and I want to get your take on this, Adam, is he basically said that Joe Shane, his understanding more of positional scarcity is the way that he he would phrase it. And so instead of previous regimes taking running backs in the top five or nose tackles in the first round, areas that you can pretty much have interchangeable guys maybe come in on on smaller deals, you go with positional scarcity at high impact positions like, oh, I don't know edge rusher or offensive tackle, which every team seems to say you can never have enough of. Yeah. Not overspending in the off season being a positive for the giants is like me saying I stopped dunking, right? Because it just, listen, it wasn't benefiting me. doesn't matter that I never had the ability to do it. It just, it was smart for me this off season. Um, I, I think from that standpoint, it's just, listen, you didn't have any money. So what were you spending on? But to your point, yes, I, I think that's something we talked about too. You know, positional scarcity is a great way to frame it. You know that the, again, offensive line and having a strong front in front of your quarterback, defensive front, getting after the quarterback, winning the game in the trenches. For as much as the game has evolved over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, one thing that remains the same is you still need to be good at the point of attack. So I think it makes sense to address those areas. And then also, even though they couldn't go spend money, I'll throw it in. That idea of, and what you don't want to do is give out a big contract or have big money tied into positions that you feel are somewhat replaceable commodities. Now, certain players, we'll talk about the secondary in this instance, Xavier McKinney, we think in another year or two, you're going to be talking about extending him and maybe giving him a sizable contract. But right, wrong, indifferent, dead money aside, whatever, moving on from Logan Ryan, a player that has a big dollar amount associated with him, but you go, yes, but there is, this is a replaceable commodity, especially inside of the new system that we're running here. Right? So I think coming in and just acknowledging what do we have that works? What do we have that doesn't work? And what can we reasonably do to improve our team right now and set the table for success down the road without doing what so many regimes have done before violent swings, right? Throwing big contracts out, maybe, maybe making big moves that in the moment, um, it made me think back to Olivier Vernon, right? 
think back to like at the time you were like, oh, like, okay, like, here we go. And then when it doesn't work out, you find yourself trying to dump assets and then you're trying to pull some pieces from other teams and you get an offensive lineman, but then you don't resign him, right? Like too many moving parts, too many mechanics. Do the thing that you know you can control. Draft young talent. You can control that talent and then try to build the process up. So that part of it, I really liked. If there's one thing um, that I think was interesting about it as well, though, is he speaks to the idea of how they they're on projections to me as well, right? <laughs> like he talks about the areas they address and I want to get into the draft here for a little bit, but everything that's positive about the giants is about what could be not about what is known to be. And what I mean is the Denver Broncos get Russell Wilson. Kind of know what that is, right? When you go and get an AJ Brown, you kind of know what that is. You can make moves in free agency. You're giving yourself proven commodities and that can raise what the expectations are and what the, the, the floor is for your team. The Giants are young and we think they're talented, but we'll find out in another three months, like where they actually stand in the hierarchy of the NFL. So some of that is like exciting, but I also have this little bit of, okay, uh, you know, we've been here before in an off season or two. Well, so the, the thing that Bill Barnwell talks about a little bit too, is the Giants went with the quantity, not necessarily like the high end quality type of talent, like a Russell Wilson sure. or an AJ Brown that you mentioned, but that speaks to how, devoid of of quality there was in terms of the 53-man roster last year so we, we've mentioned it before when we think about the turnover of this roster we're talking about over 25 30 percent of the entire rosters being turned over Fine. and when you look at the and you look at something like the offensive line look at where we were week one and who was starting and who was backing everyone up and now look going into this uh you know o o mandatory minicamp you look at the offensive line you're like Oh, our number twos were actually our number ones last year, and that's a problem. So I think what what Joe Shane has done really well is at least filling filling up the bottom of, of the roster so that we can have competition battles and we have a little bit of depth for the first time. The other thing that he talked about there too, and I and I agree with you by the way. If you want to include Shane Lemieux because he was out with injury, four new starting offensive linemen this year, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit of turnover um, that no previous regime was able to accomplish in a single offseason. The results will, of course, dictate how we feel about it. The other thing that he said though was in regards to what went wrong or what he could have done different because he kind of broke this down into phases, and it was at the top of the draft going with Evan Neal, a tackle who is a who's a left tackle. And you're going to try to play him at left tackle. Uh, uh, scratch that, reverse it. You get what I'm trying to say. He's going to play right tackle for the Giants. It's not what he played at college. Is that necessarily the best positional value? And could he, the Giants or Joe Shane, have looked at that draft and said, maybe filling in another big area of need? He mentions a wide receiver at seven and then getting an offensive lineman later. Why? I'll, I'll, I'll tee up for this one. Why is that a flawed logic when you talk about how to utilize your fifth and seventh pick? Yeah, it's, it seems this is the one area where it felt like um, he was just trying to find something that didn't go well because the Giants aren't projected to be a great team yet. There was a lot of holes that Joe Shea needed to fill. He did it through the draft. He signed competent and, and smart contracts on the free agent market. But this idea that Evan Neal can't play right tackle, even though he's played multiple positions of the offensive line, it, that's the first piece of it. I, I prefer just getting high-end talent at the top of the draft and then you know making sure that you can figure the rest out from there. But the problem with what Bill was saying about drafting a wide receiver at seven and then going and getting your offensive tackle where you took Wandell Robinson is, okay, but who was the offensive tackle that you were going to be targeting if you weren't going to pick Wandell Robinson there? And I, I know, Adam, you, you looked at it too. 
it doesn't look like for 10 or 15 picks from around where the Giants were picking that there were any offensive tackles that anyone was really considering in that area. Yeah, I mean, outside of talking about Mathis, who obviously uh, Washington took there at 47, that would be like the first time that you start to see some names come off the board. You can talk about a Cam Jurgens who goes at 51. You can talk about another guard in Gadecki that goes to the Buccaneers. But again, that's 47 going into the back end of the 50s. And then after that, there's still, you know, Ed Ingram, there's names. These are guards, by the way, though, primarily. So this is the problem and what we talked about in the draft. Would a trade back scenario have been fantastic? For, there's two, two problems. One, you can only you can only go address other needs if you have the ability to do it. And I think if the Giants could have traded out of one of those two top 10 picks, they would have. But those opportunities didn't come. So then the next thing you do is say, how do we improve our team? And there's no way that you're going to tell me that Evan Neal isn't a better prospect, just by default of being taken as high as he was, than all of these other players that we're looking at here. Not to mention... Again, positional value, positional scarcity. I, I don't know if a top 10 wide receiver is necessarily the route that I would be going here for the Giants when you think about, well, we want Daniel Jones to play well, and that's how we're going to close out this episode, speaking to some of the opportunities for Jones. We want him to play well. I think protecting him is the most important thing you could possibly do, let alone the fact to say nothing that Andrew Thomas is coming off an injury and is there wearing a red jersey in camp, right? Like, there's no, we don't have a 100% guarantee. The best teams in the league rotate through some of their offensive linemen over a five and six year span. And you need to have the preparation to do that. So um, I push back on that a little bit. And I think really he, he was, Bill was just offering a, Hey, there's maybe this other version where you did something a little bit better. You know, you can tweak it, but, but you can make that open-ended statement. And then when you ask for kind of the facts on it, or like, you know, show me what, what is it? Show me the math. You go, I ah, just trust me. The, the numbers add up here. That, that I think is kind of what happens there uh, for me in that instance. Yeah. I was, the only thing I was going to add to that, Adam, is is yeah, there, there was no offensive tackles taken in the 10 picks before the Giants were projected to pick in the second round, and there wasn't an offensive tackle taken in the 15 picks after the Giants were slated to pick in the second round. So it's like you have a you have a pot of 25 selections, and there wasn't an offensive tackle taken in there. So to, to your point, it's like, who? who? Just give me a name, and then I can rationalize it because this idea of like go get a premium wide receiver and then figure it out doesn't seem to be a very good strategy when the Giants ended up locking in Evan Neal and a guy that they liked in Wondell Robinson while trading back and getting more draft picks and still getting the guy that you wanted. So like, I don't know, it, it, you know, if you had door number one or door number two, give me the one that seems to have a little bit more of a plan to it. Take, take an offensive talent and then figure it out was, I think uh, Dave Gettleman had that tattooed across his chest. <laughs> um, the other thing then, so we talk about Daniel Jones a little bit. How about this one for you? Uh, one of the smartest QBs he's ever worked with also said he's the hardest working guy in the building. And that's, of course, coming from Davis Webb talking about Daniel Jones and what he's trying to accomplish inside of the Giants facility as we work our way through this offseason. Um, there was one thing that came out around Daniel Jones that I think is interesting, and that was initially saying when you look at Daniel Jones and what he can accomplish going forward, I, I label this as system versus the skill set because in 2021, Jones took uh, seven-step drops on 27 dropbacks, completing 22 of 26 passes, 330 yards, three, uh, 203 air yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a passer rating of 157.2. Obviously, the rating, not the QBR. Near-perfect rating there on, those, uh, on that sample size. Do you worry, this is the first part, and then we're going to get into some other pieces, but do you worry at all that something that we've talked about, the RPO piece, is Daniel Jones really effective throwing on the run? Is that going to be something he has to develop? 
versus the thing that maybe he does really well is obviously something that could be a part of the system, but is going to be far less utilized maybe underneath Kafka, underneath Dable. Well, I don't know if he'll necessarily be less utilized. I think that there's there can be multiple ways that Daniel Jones can impact the offense. I think making sure, obviously, injuries have been a challenge for Daniel Jones, and um, some of it ha- has been responsible because of his mobility, but I think others are just like bad luck in terms of, of getting hurt. Listen, the run pass option is going to be great. It clearly has worked for someone like Josh Allen in that system with his athleticism and his ability to to run the football or at least give the illusion that he's going to run the football. But Adam, I just keep going back to this. I mean, you see it in Kansas city with, with Mahomes. when Mahomes has time, like yeah. defenses don't stand a chance because he has, he can, he has all the arm talent in the world. He can make all the throws and he can throw the ball 50, 60, 70 yards on a string to someone like Tyree kill or down the field to McCole Harbin or whoever. I think you've seen when Daniel Jones is given time, and he has enough time in the pocket, he can make a beautiful ball, deep ball throw. Like he has that ability in him. And that's what makes me so frustrated about not supporting him with better offensive line play is I believe deep down inside it is in there. And we see a lot of these advanced metrics saying how good Daniel Jones can be if he gets into a seven step drop, or if he has time to throw the football. Well, now we get to see it because we have, address the offensive line 80 percent of the offensive line will basically be new from week two of last year and this is what i'm talking about adam to me there's just literally no excuses at this point if this small sample size of deep ball throwing that daniel jones had that i think can be a tremendous asset if it doesn't really come to the forefront there's no more excuses about whether or not daniel jones is the franchise quarterback yeah the other thing too is as we go into this mandatory uh mini camp here for three days usually they always say you know it's easier for the defense to kind of play with their ears pinned back and be aggressive so the offense can take time to develop its chemistry and get itself on the same page in that regard one thing that i'd be curious to watch for is because the other indication that they've given is what are they doing better to help daniel jones be better right how are they trying to improve the way that they put him in good spots and the pre-snap motion is a big part of how a quarterback and how an offense can understand and learn what the defense is trying to do. It's why I mentioned the comment from Davis Webb. Like we all agree that Daniel Jones is at least from a prospect standpoint, from what you hear, we had, you know, I'm not in the room with him, but that he is one of the smarter football IQ players in the league. So what's one of the worst things that you could do to a young quarterback. If you're trying to help him behind a bad offensive line, it's And we saw a little bit last year, but we didn't see it in his rookie campaign, certainly. And that was, even though he had some good stats, it's help him with sample sizes, right? Move the wide receiver from one side to the other. Switch the side of the line that the tight end that lines up on. Bring the running back in and out of the backfield. When they did a little bit more of that last year and you started to see where defenses were going, that's what's going to speed up what Daniel Jones knows he can do post-snap. Give him that information and let him process it. So your point about no more excuses, right? Give them time on the offensive line in front of him and let him see if he can make the right plays down the field with the football. If you use utilize the system of Dable, utilize the system of Kafka, in theory, you put Daniel Jones into a spot where when he calls hike, he now knows I want to hit progression one, two, and three, as opposed to something that I've pointed to and he needs to show that he can improve on and that's getting locked in on option one and not being able to get off of it. It's Listen, that's on his detriment. He needs to be better at it regardless of what happens pre-snap, but there are ways that you can put players in better positions to have success, and I think this is one of the things to watch for maybe in these three days. With all these offensive weapons there, I want to see 
that you're hearing and Daniel Jones went to his third option in Wandale Robinson or he scanned starting with Kadarius Tony on the left and came back to him after checking through, right? Those are the things that you want to see having some a solid offensive line play in front of him. Well, the other piece of it that you mentioned, because you brought up Davis Webb, you brought up Mike Kafka. There's there's another little thread that that the Giants are pulling on, uh, specifically around Davis Webb. Okay, he, he said, oh, "I see you're interested in what I'm about to say, Adam. I like it." So Davis Davis Webb, do you know? Trivia question: Where right. Davis Webb went to college? Oh, I I do know it, but go ahead. I die. Ah, Davis Webb went to Texas Tech University. Yes. Do you happen to know who else was a quarterback in the room at Texas Tech University at Patrick the same Mahomes. time? Patrick. Patrick Mahomes. Ah, yes. Davis Webb and Patrick Mahomes are friends. And Davis Webb has been calling and FaceTiming That's Patrick right. Mahomes with Daniel Jones in the room. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Daniel Jones will never get any, any of the translative skills from Patrick Mahomes. But what Davis Webb is doing is he's put saying, your hand, put your, put your, put your hand, hand up to here <laughs> and let's see if we can get some of that arm talent, even more they arm never, talent. They me. have never taken the plot of Space Jam and applied it to any other sport. I just, I, I don't know what we're doing. Here. I know, foolishness. But but the, the reason why he's doing that is not necessarily just to see how how arguably the best quarterback in the NFL does it. What he's saying is, you seem to really have a good rapport and understanding of Mike Kafka's offensive mind, how he yeah. likes to operate. And so what he's saying is now that we have Mike Kafka here, Patrick, what are the things that Daniel Jones and I can take away from Kafka's system and his offense that maybe we can be able to utilize here? And what did you find successful? Those are the types of things that I think smart teams do, smart offenses do, is you take and you, and you, and you analyze and you pick from, from other smart players. It just so happens that that kind of works in the Giants' favor with Kafka coming over from Kansas City. It's also uh, what a smart backup quarterback does if he wants to try to really anchor himself oh, yeah. into a QB room. Davis Webb goes, listen, listen, I He's know. Like, listen, I have Patrick Mahomes' phone number. I just want to let you know. It walks out the door if I get released. I'm just letting you know that. So Over, under, on number of times that Davis Webb called Patrick Mahomes before he actually picked up. You think there was, was there like a... No, no, I know it was one ring right to voicemail, but sometimes Pat's in meetings. He has a lot going on, but he, no, he'll, he'll pick up. He's going to pick up here. Well, it depends if it was during the match where Patrick Mahomes was with Josh Allen yeah. and they were playing against Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in golf. Adam, it always comes back to golf. It always will. You just got to deal with it. But uh, if it was during that, then who knows? He was drinking a couple of Coors Lights dur during the golf match. So, At the end of the day, we have a few big days in camp coming up for the New York Football Giants before we have the big delay. After this camp wraps up, we're going to start talking about a little more expansive views, looking forward to the season, thinking about how this team can have success. But there's going to be a lot of good sample sizes we get here. We focused on Daniel Jones today. I think talking more about, as you're seeing probably uh, across the coverage, talking about Saquon Barkley as a receiver, that's starting to get a lot of traction here. Having him play and get running reps outside of the tackles seems to be something they're leaning towards as well. All the things that if when you first drafted some of the young talent the Giants still have on this roster, you would have said this would be the smart way to use them. Finally, three, four years later, it seems like it's starting to happen. In the meantime, you get over to YouTube, you uh, subscribe, you share it, you like it, you watch it, you consume it any way that you want, including the podcast. You find yourself behind the wheel driving into work. Why not let the sultry sounds of my and Andy's voices guide you? into that office uh, enjoy it wherever you get it that's the bottom line and as andy makowitz would want need and nay always demand the people know as always let's go big blue